0: Saturday morning and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. The 18th of October. Hmm. Fall is completely underway and completely finishing up. Very few plants still holding on to their leaves. You know, it's that time of year, folks. Okay, fall cleanup is in full swing get the lawn tractor out there, chew up those (laughs) wonderful piles of leaves, you know, raking, you know, watching the kids jump into the piles, you know, all of that, it gives you a great opportunity to get some psychological stuff done with your kids. Hey, kids, why don't we pile up all the leaves and you can jump into them? my suggestion is put it on top of a tarp. <laughs> you know, say, oh, we always pile them on top of a tarp so that, you know, that way it's less work on you. <laughs> so, you know, I love those little games that you can play, you know. But it's time to plant the bulbs. You know, we talked about that at the end of the last show last week. Uh, it's it's time. It's time to get all those larger bulbs, tulips, daffodils, you know, fertilaria, you name it allium. Get all of those in. The small bulbs were right in that time frame. You know, I think you can start on those too. So, you know, like I said at the end of last last week's show, don't make bulb planting a one-day project, unless you're just putting a few bulbs in. If you bought, say, 10 or 15 packages, do five at a time. Spread it out a little bit. Do a couple after work don't feel like you have to do them all at once. Make sure and mark your locations. Remember soil perfector, bulb tone, you know all of those things when you're planting but it's 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 time okay. I hope uh you've marked that on your calendar and made sure if you have those in the closet like we talked about back in September that you're gonna pull them out and get them in the ground. Now, we still have plenty of time to plant bulbs. You know, you can go right through November into December, too. So if you're behind the eight ball, no big deal. No big deal at all. Plenty of time. Time to get that veggie garden turned over. We talked a little bit about that last week, too. You know, what to do, uh, you know, pulling out those vegetables. So if you need to, go back to the podcast. You can pick that up at com backslash radio. Listen to that last week if you missed it you know, talking about pulling out, you know, some of the stuff that maybe has problems on it. Maybe you have some disease or insect issues. You can get those out of the garden. It's time to do some of your pruning too. We talked a little bit about that. I'm going to be pruning some of my spirea, um, you know, some Annabelle hydrangea, cutting back all my perennials pretty much are done now. So I've been able to get some of those things, you know, getting ahead for winter and next spring, you know, pulling the weeds. You know, I don't want to, spend too much time on all of that because we've got a bunch of questions to get to today. But, you know, getting ahead. I'm going to continue that theme. How can we get ahead for next year? It's time to think about emptying out those annual containers. Anything in ceramics, let's go ahead and get those into the garage. You know, we're starting to get freezing temperatures and, you know, it's it's that time frame when, you know, we need to empty out those containers. Maybe toss the hanging baskets, store those containers away, maybe clean them up a little bit before you put them away. All good things to get done sooner than later. And we're approaching that time frame to fall fertilize. Now, when I say approaching, we're not quite there yet. I usually say in November sometime, maybe late October, depending on the temperatures. Still hasn't really been cold enough to get the ground temperatures cold enough for me for fall f- fertilizing. But we're getting close. You know, here's a great question. When should I mow my lawn for the last time and at what height? It's a great question. You know, we're at that time frame. You know, more often than not, what I find myself is I'm doing more leaf cleanup with my lawn mower than I am necessarily mowing my lawn. So what I, su- I suggest to people is... You know, when you're doing leaves, you keep that deck up a little bit higher. You know, you don't need to get it down real low. Now, when you get towards the end of the season, I like to mow my lawn down to two inches. Now, all summer, I'm at three or four inches because I want the moisture to be able to stay in the lawn. It's kind of like natural shade, but my last mowing or two, I'm going to go ahead and get that down fairly tight. And you might say, well, why Why would you do that? You're opening up the soil to weeds, possible erosion, you know, all of those types of things. I like to get as low as I can because I want to take any of that inert matter, you know, all those lawn clippings we've been putting on there, I want to chew all of that up and open up airspace to the lawn and the soil. You might say, well, why... Why airspace? You know, what's the concern? Well, here's my concern with the lawn. Remember, we've talked about time and time again, the snow molds and all of those things that attack our lawn in the winter fungally. What do you think the reason for that is? Well, if we leave our lawn long, it lays over. It starts to rot. There's a lot of organic matter. You've got no way to aerate it out, you know, over the winter. So giving more space for the water to move, less, you know, uh possibility of fungal problems, you cut a lot of those things out. Now, do you open yourself up to maybe a few more weeds? Yeah, but at this point, those weed seeds are sown anyways. They're there regardless. They're finding their homes. Are we opening it up to a place for they want where they might be able to sprout in the spring? Sure. But we're going to do some weed control in the spring, anyways. So, I don't like to reseed because of the fungal problems. I'd rather deal with the weed problem. So, I make a conscious choice of what's the best route. And for me, this is the best way to go. So, I, I mow down to about two inches at this time of year. And then, if it grows back an inch, that's fine. But I bring it down pretty tight. I may mow one more time. It all depends on the fall. We get another warm-up. You know, I've seen it 70 degrees in November, you know, and I'm mowing my lawn for the last time in November. So gauge your lawn. The other thing in my lawn is part of my lawn will need it again, and a major part of my lawn won't. I've got some low-lying moisture areas that grow. They're in part shade. They tend to grow a little bit quicker. And so I may have to do a portion of my lawn and not the whole thing, too. So, you know, kind of gauge your lawn of what the best thing. I always say two inches in the in the, in the late fall. We're over all the heat. You don't have to worry about it. It's going dormant. It's still green at my house. There are areas that are not green anymore that have gone dormant. Those I'm not going to mow again, but some of those other areas I will. So I hope that helps. So, you know, fall is kind of that, that late fall transition to winter Is a tough time of year to make all of these decisions, but we still have good weather. So get out there and be able to knock some of these things off. I really like to leave my ornamental grasses up, so I don't prune those back in the late fall. I leave them and I prune them in the spring, okay? But all the rest of my perennials, I've pretty much cleaned up and I'm weeding and and kind of getting the beds, you know, fluffed and, and really looking good for next spring. What I will say is, I've been weeding over the last couple weeks, and what I'm noticing late fall here is a lot of really little weeds starting to pop up. Now, I could just ignore them, or I can just do one more cultivation. Now that the plants are all cut back, you've got great exposure to all of the soil. So I like to go in and just kind of work the upper couple inches late in the fall And what that does is it will freeze all the root systems of those little plants that are getting established for next year. Those weeds are rooting just the same of any other plant that we've planted. So if you can knock out those little weeds one last time before the ground freezes, you're just going to kill them off. No soil on the weed, no weed for the spring. Okay, so great opportunity to kind of knock out some of those things. And I know every spring that's the battle we face. So here's another tip of how you can kind of knock some of those things out and just clean it up. Not easy. Got to take the time, but well worth the little bit of time because you can get in there around everything. I use an iron rake. I don't actually use a hoe or anything. I use that nice 18-inch Iron rake, I just kind of scrape up the soil, you know, and then rake it all back down. If there's mulch, I fluff the mulch to kill those weeds too. It also gives you kind of a nice fresh look, okay, going into winter. Opens up the airspace for water to to flow down through that mulch and whatnot too. So a lot of good positives. And going into that, why should you mulch last late fall? the reason for mulch is to keep the ground cold it has nothing to do with keeping the ground warm so late mulch in the season you get some cold temperature into the ground and it keeps it cold okay most people think think it keeps it warm it's actually reverse it keeps it cold we the biggest problem you can have with plants that you plant later in the season or establishing plants in the fall, is temperatures that go up and down in your soil temperature. You want them to stay nice and cold, okay? And that's the reason you mulch late in the, spring, in the, in the fall, okay? So, here's a great question, though. How do I get a vine like clematis to cover a trellis or a lamppost? I, mine seems to take forever and is not growing exactly the way I want. I, it's two years old, and I really need some advice on how to get this plant to grow. So, you know, this is a pretty common, common problem with, you know, a trellis or a vine or an arbor. When we plant a vine, we want this beautiful thing, like in the pictures, you know. Oh, it's so beautiful beautiful, it's, oh, I'm getting married under this arbor, and whoa, is me. Okay. Now, if that's what you're looking for, we can achieve that, okay? But it's not instant. And clematis is finicky, okay? So I don't know what variety you have, so there's the first question. But secondly, more often than not, if you see a trellis, or a lamppost, there's usually not a lot of other things planted around it. Clematis is a companion plant. They need to have other plants with them. Specifically, I like to plant annuals. And the reason I plant annuals with clematis is they shade the root system. The biggest thing of why clematis shut down and stop growing is heat. Okay? They do not like their root system to be in direct sunlight. So let me say that again. They don't like their root system to be in direct sunlight. That means they do not like bare soil around the base of them. Though they don't like a lot of root competition either. So that's why annuals work great, because they die every year. So come late summer when the you know, or early fall when the temperatures start to cool off, you start to get frost, what do you do? You yank the annuals out. It's cool at that time, so it doesn't matter that the root system isn't shaded. But all summer, the root system is shaded by those annuals. The other thing I love about annuals is they wilt quickly because they don't have heavily established root systems. What does that do? It tells us that the clematis needs more water. So I plant around clematis part sun to shade plants, even in a full sun situation. And the reason I do that, impatience are a great one. Now, I know we've had problems with impatience and all of that fun stuff, but New Guinea impatience are a great option also. Why do I like them? Because when they show the signs of wilt, they tell me it's a water indicator. I need to get out there and water those plants, but also I need to water my clematis to keep their root system cool. Dry clematis and heat don't mix. So that will explode the growth of your clematis. And last but not least, pH is important. If you have a fairly acidic soil, clematis like a little more alkaline. Maybe adding a little bit of lime around the base of that each spring, a couple handfuls, not a lot, will help raise the pH, make all of the lovely elements in the soil available to them, including your fertilizer, and you will explode with growth and see your clematis bound up the trellis. Now, will that be coverage in one year, or two years, or three years? No. It's a slow process, but the rewards for a clematis are at the end of the cycle of getting it big and beautiful. I hope that helps. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB.
1: For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non hazardous organic and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof, p f.com.
2: Are you an organic gardener?
1: Was your garden all it could be this
3: season? The gardening season may be winding down, but that does not mean you can't start looking forward to next year with a visit to Esther Brooks. With cooler temperatures and all trees, shrubs, and perennials now on sale for 40 to 60% off, it's the perfect time to invigorate your home. Best of all, you'll be enjoying your garden next spring while everyone else is planting theirs. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening.
0: Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're answering questions. All you great customers out there that are listening, you can submit your questions at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. We're constantly getting questions, not only in the garden center, but online. And a lot of times I won't read all of them on the show. I will respond back to you also, uh, you know, so that if you miss a show or whatnot... I will respond to you and say, hey, um, this is what I would do. Because it might also be a couple weeks since we're taping the show. So sometimes if it's time sensitive, I will send you a little note back via email. So don't think it's always going to be answered on the radio show. We get a lot of questions. I also take a lot of questions from folks that walk into the garden center. So don't ever hesitate to come in and visit with me also. But here's, a, here's another great late fall question. When moving a lilac, do you have tips to make sure the spot is right for a lilac? And does pH play a major role in moving a lilac? And that's a great question because here in Maine, we, we have a lot of differentiation in the pH in our soil. If you have a lot of pines and oaks and you're moving a lilac closer to them, the pH as you get closer to those plants are going to be lower and lower. If you have planted your lilac and it's close to the foundation, there is a bunch of calcium that comes off of that foundation over time. So if you have a newly planted, newly planted house and the foundation's within five years old, guess what? You're getting some buffering from calcium coming out of that foundation to offset the pH. Now at year 6 to 10, you may start to see that change and you may need to add lime. So, is there a right location for lilacs? General parameters on lilacs are always six hours and more sunlight, not a wet location, but not dry either. You can sustain a lilac in dry soil but you need to water it more during the summer months. The summer months are important for setting flower buds for the next year. So it will sustain greatly in a, in a sandy soil all spring, bloom wonderfully. But if it really goes into a drought situation in the summer, it will probably not bud up and it will probably not hold through to the next year the way you want it to. Or you'll sparsely flower and not be that great. Now, if you have less than six hours of sunlight, you're still going to grow a lilac just fine. You just may not have as good a blossom set when you get into the four hours, you know, so less than half a day. Now, I don't really care what time of day those hours are. You might get three hours or four hours in the morning, and then in the afternoon you get two or three also. I'm fine with that. But Lilacs, the biggest thing I find is moisture and pH, even over the sunlight factor. Now, less sunlight, they'll be stretchy. You need to prune them more, but you can sustain a lilac and get decent blossom. But with lilacs, it's very important that we have a good pH for budding, So, more towards the alkaline side, say a 6.5 on the pH scale, and we are making sure that summer water is most important. Now, last but not least with lilacs, always important to prune right after blossom, and we've talked about it time and time again. Though, if you're rebounding old lilacs, it's okay to prune before that and sacrifice the blossoms. So, here are the tips for moving lilacs. Number one, get as much root system as you possibly can. The bigger, the better. They're not a very deep-rooted plant, so they really have a fibrous root system that is quite wide. So, try to get a root ball as wide as the plant, the plant's top is. So, if that's a four-foot wide plant, get try to get a four-foot root ball. It may not be that deep, which is fine. When you move the lilac, add some extra lime when you're planting. Include some good root stimulator and compost and watch for water all summer long. Again, two to three times, some deep waterings. Make sure it stays good and moist. Pruning the first year, don't prune. Let it settle in, do its thing, and you'll be just fine. When picking a spot... More sunlight is better than less. And always, always, always consistently watch the plant. The plant will tell you what it needs, whether it be fertilizer, lime, water. Keep your eye on the plant. Even though it's an established plant and you're moving it, keep an eye on it for the first year or two. Planting depth is always a concern. So when in doubt, leave the plant a little bit higher. I hope that helps. Lilacs are a staple of Maine and really just the taste of Maine really for spring. I mean, you don't get anything better than a wonderful, wonderful lilac. Here's another question. I have a new home and want to landscape it myself. Where should I start in the process? Hardscape plants for the front yard, plants for the backyard. I've got some screening I need to do from a neighbor. I just am paralyzed by making the choice to start. Please help. I just want to get over this paralyzation that I'm having with my yard. This This is a very, very common problem that customers have. You know, You've got this big canvas, it's a new house, and what do I need? where do I start, how do I go about it? If you're that paralyzed, the best thing you can do is bring somebody in to help you get past that, whether it be a designer or whatnot. So the first place I like to start is come to a garden center, talk to us about your thought process, what you're having, and be honest about being paralyzed. It's okay. You're not alone. This is a pretty common problem. So you come to the garden center and you think, oh my gosh, I'm more overwhelmed. Look at all these plants. Look at all these choices. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love this. Just stop. It's okay to look at plants. It's okay to think about plants. Just come in and talk to us. And ask questions. All right, here's my situation. Got a new home. I don't know if I should put my walkway in first. You know, should I plant the front of the house first? I've got this neighbor next door that, gosh, their woodpile really bugs me. You know, I'd really like to screen that. Just check off the list of the things that you want to accomplish. So take a walk around your house. Write down some of those goals, okay? Okay. A landscape's not created overnight. It's created over the lifetime you live in the home. Okay? So one project at a time, one step at a time. Now, let's back up. Should you put the walkway in first? Not necessarily. Is it a priority for you to start? Do you feel you can accomplish that later on? The one thing I will say about hardscape is you need to plan for it. Either the hardscape goes in early or later, but what you do is if you are putting in hardscape, meaning patios, walkways, stone walls, you know, retaining walls, all of those things, you need to plan for what you're planning on planting. So if you're going to go ahead and do that work first, you want to come in and talk to us about plants, how much space they're going to need, what you would do, it bugs me and it bugs my staff a lot of times that you put a walkway in and you didn't leave enough room for plants. It looks like enough room, but it's not. So come in and talk to us because we can tell you some general parameters of of bed spacing in order to ensure you have enough room for whatever you want to do later. That's the number one mistake people make. So come in, talk to us. If you can afford it, hiring a designer might be a good way to go. If you can't and you want to do it all yourself, that's wonderful too. But remember, there are professionals to help you along the way either way. And you get huge returns on your investment by using those professionals and their opinions. Now, are they always going to be right? Are they always going to fit your tastes? No, ultimately it's your home and you need to be happy with what you do. So, here's the, in general the process I use for people. Ask two questions. Are you planting first or are you hardscaping first? Are you doing both at the same time? Maybe, maybe you have the budget to do that. If that's the case, then plan out both things in relation to each other, I usually tell people what's the most impact you're gonna have in your landscape. That's where you start. So, if you don't have any landscaping whatsoever, I always think, in my opinion, the foundation planting in the front yard is probably the place to start. Though I have had three customers this fall that have said no. The screening of my neighbor is more important than the foundation planting. I'll do that next year. So it really comes down to your priority. You may be standing at your kitchen window and you can look right into their dining room and that really bugs you or vice versa. And you feel like you don't have the privacy in your own home. That may be a bigger you know, priority for you than something else. You may hate the RV that they park, you know, the next-door neighbor puts there all winter and you need to screen that. That may be your priority. They may have a compost pile that you can't stand. It's those rickety old pallets and the pile of wood and the, you know, junk that they don't want to look at they put in a place that you can see it. So, all of those things are choices and priorities. Maybe, You want to have the walkway in before you have plants because you want to funnel more people through your front door. You want when people come over to use the front door and not the side door. So all of these are things that you identify and then you implement over time. Time and time again, I tell customers, you don't have to do everything at once. Start logical, And everything will balance around your whole yard. The worst thing as a new homeowner that you can do is come to any garden center and just buy a bunch of plants, not knowing where they're going and what you're doing with them. Do not start just checkerboarding your yard. And when I say checkerboarding your yard, you put one plant over here on this side, you put one plant over here on this side, you put one in the backyard. You put one out by the driveway. Start with one area, stay focused, spend the budget that you have, and then stop. When you have more budget to spend, come back, do another project, do it to the best of your ability, then stop. Pick off the budget and say, hey, we're doing the walkway this year. We're not doing plants. Just take each individual piece, and it may be you have... $300 every other month, and you do three smaller projects. That is great. It's a much better way to go about your landscape. Also, think in terms of, do I need to put some trees in? I always start with the biggest plants first and work to the smallest plants. So if you know you need trees in your yard, start by planting a few trees. They're big accents. You can get them up in size. And it takes time to do that. Many people plant the smallest things and work to the biggest. It really should be done in the opposite direction. So there's a lot of variables in how you go about these things. This is a great, great opportunity. You have a blank canvas. Use the professionals to help mold your landscape into what you want it long term. What are your goals? How long are you going to stay there? all of those things will come into play. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB.
2: At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop Texts, StopRex.org.
3: Was your garden all it could be this season? The gardening season may be winding down, but that doesn't mean you can't start looking forward to next year with a visit to Estabrooks. With cooler temperatures and all trees, shrubs, and perennials now on sale for 40 to 60% off, it's the perfect time to invigorate your home. Best of all, you'll be enjoying your garden next spring while everyone else is planting theirs. To learn more, visit esterbrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening.
4: You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma Organic Lawn Food Products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit espoma.com slash videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929.
0: Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. So I'm Tom Estabrook. We've been talking, uh, you know, new homes and landscaping and And how you approach that. And I hope I was clear about all of that and gave you some good guidance. You know, the big thing is you don't have to do everything at once. Okay? Time and time again. You know, and I find I fall into this too. You know, when you're doing a project, you want it all done. Landscaping is a lifelong project of your home. It will come and go in phases like any other project that you have, spend the time and energy on it and do it right the first time and space things out appropriately, you're going to be much, more, much, much happier than you are having to rip and tear bigger plants and lose that investment long-term. So here's another question. I've listened to the show numerous times and you've been talking about dormant oil. Can you explain to me what dormant oil is? I would assume we're getting close to being able to use that. I do have a magnolia that has scale. And tell me, are there some other plants that I should be spraying down with dormant oil to kill the eggs for next spring? That's a great question. We are virtually right on that doorstep. Primarily what I would say is dormant oil is a smothering insecticide. So basically think of it like you're putting lotion on your hands. You cover it all over to fix all those cracks and crevices and, and, you know, everything, and it just heals. But what does it do? It smothers the skin so that it becomes more soft and supple, okay? So with dormant oil, what we're doing is we're using a higher level to smother egg casings, to smother insects, and what it does is it takes the oxygen away from the eggs and everything else. So it doesn't actually enter into the... It just smothers them and suffocates them, okay? So you mentioned you have magnolia scale. Very common, you know, but there's a whole host of things. Now, when we're using a dormant oil, it's the same product as an all-season oil. Now, all-season oil, you can buy and it's diluted to be able to be used spring, summer, fall, winter, anytime. For dormant oil application, you're still buying all-season oil, but you buy it in concentrate, and you mix it at a higher rate. Because it has no leaves and the temperatures are cool, we don't worry about burning. Okay, so always read the label But here are some of the big things that I always look to use dormant oil on. Number one, the magnolias. Anything that has scale or any type of egg casing like magnolias, I use it on that. So you might have it on crab apples. You might have it on a a, a whole host of different plants. You might have scale. So anytime we identify scale, hemlock scale, use it on that. Anytime you have recurring problems on a plant, so uh, a, a plant I always have a struggle with is leaf roller on viburnum, okay? Pretty common problem on all our fragrant viburnums in the spring. By the time we see the damage on the leaves, it's too late. Dormant oil will take care of that problem. So if you always have a problem with that, spray it in the fall, spray it early spring, done no more problems kills the egg casing can't have any insects okay so knocks things right out other plants that typically i use it on any type of woody shrub that's deciduous it's a good you know so if you have some left in the in the sprayer and you typically have some some problems on on a plant i you know you might have uh burning bush, you get aphids on every year. You could spray that that down if there's any eggs on there. Again, same type of problem. So generally, you can use it on almost most plants. I like to use it in October. It's still warm enough. Spray it on a warm day, 50 degrees, something like that. It absorbs into you know the insects, smothers them out, and then you knock out a large portion of your problem. If you do it again early spring before they leaf out, you just get those rising temperatures and knock out anything else. When you're spraying, you're spraying this product completely to, to just douse every single branch. It's running down the stems. It's not like a normal spray where you don't really want you know a lot of spray going all over the place. You really want this to drip down the stems, run and cover from all angles, okay? Okay. So dormant oil is a really great way to really knock out a lot of problems for next year. Scale on magnolia is one of the biggest problems we see with that plant. Um, We've got some on a couple magnolias in the garden center that we have, and we need to spray them every single fall also. So it's a recurring thing. Get used to identifying some of these problems and taking care of them because you really can't do as well in the spring months. This is the appropriate time for that particular plant. So I hope that helps. You know, dormant oil, again, make sure you're buying concentrate so that you can mix it at a dormant rate. You can't do that with a ready-to-use. It's already pre-mixed. Here's another question. My peonies are growing well, but I never seem to get blossoms on them. What am I doing wrong when I purchase them and put them in the ground they were blooming, they bloom for two or three years, and now I don't seem to be getting any blossoms. I don't see any buds set year in and year out, so I don't think there's fungal problems or some other issue aborting the flower buds. It just seems to be they're not blooming. So, pretty common problem the last few years in peonies. And I've been trying to figure out exactly what the problem is with some of these peonies. In a couple questions I would ask you, are you mulching or composting your garden each year? If that's the case, how many years have you been doing that? If that's the case, peonies do not like grade changes around the crown of the plant. If they're buried too deep or too shallow they tend to stop blooming, okay? And that's, that's a, a, a big difference with most plants. Peonies will stop blooming. So if you've been mulching over the crown of the plant year every year or composting, you're raising that grade. If that's the case, what I recommend is next spring, pull all that mulch and soil away from the crown, Go down to where the soil level is and see if that makes a big difference. You need to do it early in the cycle, or you may do that this fall. See how far down that root system is. If it's three, four, five inches now, that's a big difference. And that could be a major cause of why your peony needs to either be lifted so you would dig it a little bit and pop it up and put some soil underneath it to raise the grade, and you may find your peony just starts blooming unbelievably. Secondly, you said that you didn't have fungal problems. So my question to you is, do you get blackening of the leaves? Do you get any type of, you know, fungal problems throughout the season? If that's the case, probably you may also have a fungal problem, and the buds are being aborted well, well, before you even realize they have formed. Way down in the plant, when the plant hasn't unfurled its leaf, you may be aborting then also. So too prone what I would do is check the depth. And secondly, I would do a copper sulfate fungicide regardless. Organic, it's a good way to just kind of make sure you don't have any problems in the spring. And, you know, if the plant has been there a lot of years... It's possible you might need to divide it, but peonies don't typically need division for 20 plus years, Uh, so I, I highly doubt it. Last but not least, possible pH. Is it in a real acidic soil? Have you done a pH test in that area? It may need some lime. It may need some lime to raise that pH also, make more nutrients available to the plant, and then boom all of a sudden you may have all those beautiful blossoms that you're looking for and enjoy that beautiful peony again. So check those three things out. I think that might help with kind of knocking out the problem. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB.
3: The brisk air, colorful foliage, and shorter days can only mean one thing. Autumn is here. Celebrate by decorating your home with a kaleidoscope of fall color from Estabrooks. Mix and match the texture of cabbage and kale, the beauty of fall garden mums, and the rustic charm of pumpkins and corn stalks to warm your home as the temperature cools. Winter will be here soon, so make this a fall to hold on to. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of
1: gardening. For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non hazardous organic and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. WiltProof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in WiltProof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt proof p r u f dot com.
0: Welcome back to the joy of gardening by Asterix. I'm Tom Asteruk. We're taking questions this week. You know, a lot of things have come in on the website. You can submit your questions at estbrooksonlinecom backslash radio or pick up the podcast there. You know, this is a pretty common question and one that I find every fall we kind of get because I, I think a lot of people cut down a lot of trees in the fall. So, you know, here's a great simple question. What do you do to kill a stump? So, you know, real simple. There's... A few different options. You can have somebody come in and grind it. You can have somebody come in and dig it out. Or there's two other methods. When the plant starts to sprout its growth, you can spray it with an herbicide, specific like a brush killer or something like that. That will kill the stump. The biggest problem with stumps is they don't rot quickly. They take a long time. So there's products like Stump Out, where you can drill holes down in, and you put you know, the granules down in there, and it just helps them decompose quicker. Personally, I think either stump grinding or digging them out is the quickest and easiest option. But you may have that stump that really doesn't bother you. You don't want to spend the money. It's out of the way, and you just want it to kind of rot away. Some of these other products are the thing to use. You know, first off, kill the stump. Figure out how you're going to do that so that it's dead. You kill the whole root system, however you go about that. Then it will naturally just rot away. If it's actively growing, it's a living plant. It will not rot. It will take a long time. It will start to heal, all of those things. So the first thing you need to do is make sure the stump is dead. If you're doing it late fall, there really isn't any of that type of products you can do you can't spray it it doesn't have active growing green growth you could put the holes in and put the stump out in but it's mostly activated by temperature so not really getting you anywhere obviously digging it out or grinding it this time of year there you go that's a done deal the other thing is when the temperatures are cold the ground is firm so getting some of those equipment there might be easier too. not stove up your yard all over the place So I hope that helps. There's, you know, some different choices you have to make and different costs involved. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt and see what you can do. Come up with getting rid of that stump. (laughs) Believe me, there's plenty of them in my yard. Here's another great question. And I don't know if we can get this done in the amount of time. How do you, Tom, make a decision on what plant to plant in your yard? boy that's a that's a tough one um, I think we've talked about this a little bit over a few of the shows I tend to look at things a little bit differently imagine that right so when I'm picking plants I'm not just looking at flower I'm looking at the whole plant I like to look at the flowers are the peak of what a plant offers though what are the attributes does a plant add to my yard? Is it shape in the off-season? What type of fall color does it have? Is the bark interesting to me? So I'm kind of diving a little bit deeper into some of these plants as my specimen plants, meaning my showpiece plants. So like if I pick a Japanese maple, I may pick fire glow over Bloodgood. Now, Blood Good's our biggest seller, but I'll pick fireglow because I like the shapes a little bit wider. It typically has a red fall color that changes earlier than Blood Good. It's got the same beautiful foliage. The shape is the same, basically. So what addition is the fall color? I go, oh, well, I'll plant that because it adds a little more interest to me. Now... These are the reason why you ask questions when you come to a garden center and you're interested in a Japanese maple. You may say, well, what variety would you choose? I, a lot of times, will push you into a variety that has more aspects than just flower or form or, you know, I look at it from that standpoint of what other attributes is that plant going to give you at different times of year? We can always start off with flower, but then you kind of work your way into, wow, that magnolia shape is really great in tree form over shrub form. Same plant, different texture, use, shape. So first thing I do when I'm picking a plant is I look at the location I want to put it in. What's the sunlight? What's the soil conditions? What's the moisture conditions? Then I think to myself, what is the shape I want in there? I've got a place in my yard I've been struggling with for two years. and I still haven't come up with the right plant. And the thing that is hurting me is the soil is moist. So what might I have to do? I may have to change the soil type there. I may have to change the drainage. I may have to, to do the plant I might want there... I may have to change one of the conditions. I might have to cut down another tree that's shading that location. So I try to fit the plant that is the right plant for the right spot and the right conditions all together. That's not easily done in all yards, and it's not easily done in my yard. But what I try to do is figure all of those things out, and that will lead me to what the right choice is. I don't tend to pick a plant and then try to put it in a spot it's really not going to work. I try not to do that. You notice I said try because every plant's a little bit different. There's nothing wrong with trying something. You just have to be able to admit defeat when it doesn't work. You have to just say, that plant is not doing well in that spot. I need to move it to another spot. And make that call within the first three to five years of its life. And just say, you know what? That is not the right choice. I made it. I did it. It's not thriving because I did that. Okay, now what can I do? Where does it fit? Where is the right conditions? Do I have another spot in my yard? Maybe I need to give it to a friend. Sometimes those are the toughest choices. You make an informed choice up front. It may or may not work out. So I don't worry about what the plant is. I look at the conditions at which the plant's going to live for its life. That's the way you come up with the best decision on how a plant's going to do long term. I hope that helps. You know, another Saturday coming to an end. You know, the gardening season's winding down. Make sure and get all those things we talked about at the beginning of the show. Get the bulbs in the ground. Start thinking about mowing that lawn for the last time. You know, last week we talked about putting stabilizer in your gas. You know, all of those things. You know, cleaning the gutters. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The clock is running. Before you know it, Mother Nature will be dusting us with those little white, beautiful things that come out of the sky. And, you know, let's face it. It's the 18th of October. Mother Nature can strike at any point. She is ruthless when she decides to change her mind, and she has no feelings for us. So, don't hesitate. Go ahead, get your things done early and often, and you won't feel like you're behind the eight ball like I usually am. I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy your garden, and enjoy the last of fall. It's here, and have a great Saturday.